My name is Reba Hollingsworth, and I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. You see, after 34 years of marriage, my husband left. My whole world was turned upside down, and I felt like such a failure. Our son Brian said to me, Mom, if you get your relationship right with Christ, you'll be okay, whether he comes home or not. I attended many Bible studies, and I heard about soul healing. I went to women's retreats, seminars, conferences, just to hear and study the soul healing material. What a difference it made in my life. I learned things from my childhood that had molded and made me and shaped me. One of the hardest parts for me in soul healing was the explanation about VATS, because VATS are unmet needs in your past that bleed through to the present. I didn't have a good relationship with my dad, and it really affected my marriage. Through soul healing and Tammy's ministry, I've been able to develop a stronger relationship with Christ than I've ever had in my life. And I've had been in church for over 40 years. I knew I had to wait on God to decide what to do about my marriage, whether to end it or not. You see, my vows to Tom and to God were still in place. So I kind of knew I had to keep on keeping on. God answered my prayers, and our marriage has been restored. But it took 10 and a half years. Good morning. I'm Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Reba and I have been married since 1969. Our son said at our 50th anniversary celebration, we'd been married for 50 years with an asterisk. The asterisk was because we were separated for more than 10 of those 50 years. I guess the best description I can provide is that my battle with the Holy Spirit started when I walked out on our marriage in 2003, and it lasted for the next 10 years. I knew the minute I left that what I was doing was wrong, but at the time, it didn't matter. For almost the entire time we were separated, my friends kept asking me, why don't you just get a divorce? My battle with the, battle with the Holy Spirit was still raging. <laughs> my faith wouldn't allow me to take that final step. And besides, I was still in love with Reba. <laughs> Thank God for my wife. And she got involved with Tammy and her soul healing ministry. That ministry helped give her, Reba, the strength to not file for divorce as well. That allowed the Holy Spirit time to work in me, or on me, I guess, to the point where I realized that a fight with the Holy Spirit was not one I was going to win. Between God, the Holy Spirit, our faith, and Tammy Smith's ministry through her books, We've been married back together longer than we were apart. Yeah. 
nothing, no, nothing is impossible with God. I will be forever grateful for God's grace, the Holy Spirit's persistence, Reba's forgiveness, and Tammy Smith's ministry. So good, so good, so good. Let's give it up for them. That's a huge testimony. What a brave and courageous word to give us beginning this morning, right? Right. So I am so excited to be here and to dive in. Are you all ready to go buckled up? Yeah. So if you know me uh, and anything about the soul healing material, there's a likelihood you know that I'm going to begin with a quote attributed to the great C.S. Lewis. He said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And certainly you know that as you sit here, right? That your body is just a vehicle for your soul. That the body will fade and cease to exist, but your soul will not. Right? Imagine if we lived from that place. Imagine if you lived from that place, that your soul is your truest you. So how would things be different? How would you be different? Literally, just think, what's one choice I would have made differently in the past day or so if I'd been listening to, attending to, caring for my soul? This, of course, is where we need to begin in a series that has to do with healing in and of the soul. A deeper look at soul reveals this word is most often used in scripture to refer to one's inner self. The phrase soul healing is meant to evoke the image we see in Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul, which is a picture of complete satisfaction. And if you've read the psalm, even in the most difficult places in life. The message of the soul healing series is that God can and will bring restoration to your inner being. A word study of the word restores from that Psalm 23 verse captures the sense, here it is, of being brought back to, of movement back to the point of departure, which is refreshment. Did you catch that? Doesn't that just move you, the idea of returning to a place of pre-hurt, pre-wounding, pre-disappointment? Even more hopeful, the restoration is not of circumstances or of things. The restoration is of our souls. It's the promise that God, our shepherd, will draw and refresh our inner selves, the heart of who we are, our deepest parts, back to himself. So in my mind, what I see this as, and I don't know if this phrase connects with you or not, I see it as your intended self. You know, the one before the damage, the one before the hurt? And just for me, instead of kind of this version of me, I think about little Tammy. Oh my gosh, she was awesome. <laughs> and so I don't know if that connects with any of you. Perhaps more pertinent and certainly universal to us all is the scriptural idea of shalom. Where many people think this Hebrew word means peace, and it does capture that, it more accurately conveys completeness, wholeness, health, well-being, and harmony. The idea of soul healing is meant to capture this biblical concept of shalom. And implicit in shalom is what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says is the reality for each and every one of us. That verse says, he has set eternity in our hearts. Can you... Can you try to, like, 
figure out what that means to you? It, what does that mean? Eternity in our hearts. In other words, there's a longing, a pulling, a perfection deep within our core selves. It means we have an intrinsic internal hunger for wholeness and unity and love and fulfillment unhindered by sin, unhindered by any destructive separateness or division of any kind whatsoever. Can you feel it? Can you trace this in your own soul? That we long for no sin. Can you sense how this manifests in your own self? Soul? Maybe just do this exercise. Honestly, fill in this blank. Here we go. <laughs> I just want my blank to blank. That sounds kind of funny. <laughs> I just want my blank to blank. I just want my kids to obey the Lord. I just want my money to be enough. I just want my health to be restored. I just want my family to get along. I just want my boss to quit being all in my business, right? Can you, can you sense it? You can likely trace that to some form of perfection, wholeness, goodness, that you want something to be fixed that's been broken, it's proof to you that eternity is set in your heart. You're longing for perfection. So pulling these things together, we see as a soul that every one of us has this internal thirst, a desire for something more, something deeper. So everyone's soul is thirsty, hungry, longing, has, has those things put there by God. Said differently, it could be even an ache deep within, right? Now, God tells us we have this thirst. In Isaiah 55, 1, he says, Come to me, all you who are thirsty. And wonderfully, he says, I'll give uh, to drink without cost. Psalm 42, verse 1 says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul, mm -hmm, you got it, longs for you, O God. And the psalmist in Psalm 38, 9 says, All my longings lie open before you, O God. <laughs> he knows them. He knows what's going on in your deepest you. Will you pay attention and meet him there? So be thinking right now, what is something that you've done to attend to your soul's thirst or hunger? By contrast, think about the things that we've done to take care of our physical selves even today, right? What? Clothing, feeding, sleeping, grooming. Imagine if you took care of your soul to that same degree, if you attended to that same degree. That's where we got to start. So right now, just as a group, let's just throw out some ideas of what are some ways in which we could think about attending to, taking care of our soul. Throw them out. Prayer, Sabbath. Sabbath, times of rest for sure. The word of God, reading the word of God, a walk in nature, a conversation with a friend where we share our emotions and things that are going on and, and spiritual insights that we have, right? And if we don't live as the souls we are and instead only pay attention to the physical, it will have consequences in our lives, right? Can you think of what those consequences might be? If you don't pay attention to your soul, can you name some? Say it again. Depression, anger, no peace. Yeah. So when we, uh, so in order for this not to be so, those things, in order for us to experience the shalom of soul healing, we have to live first as the souls that we are. We have to live your life from the soul that you are, not the circumstances you are in. So when we pay attention to our souls in the same way that we pay attention to our physical hunger, we realize and nurture our true longing and thirst. But if we don't, if we don't, those things just go away, right? Nope. <laughs> those desires, those soul longings, they go unnoticed or unattended to, but be assured, here we go, they are driving us in the background. 
In actuality, our deeper soul longings push and pull and drive most of what we do. To make this more easily relatable, I say they manifest in things like what I like to call soul questions. They're things like this. Am I valuable? Am I lovable? Am I, do I matter? Am I attractive at all? Am I, is my life making a difference? Am I enough? Am I likable? We all have soul questions that drive much of what we do, and we take them all sorts of places, don't we? Come on, from shopping to sports to socks, stocks, socks. <laughs> That's funny. Maybe some of you. From st to stocks to sex, right? All the places. We take our soul longings. We take them to people and circumstances kind of like this, don't we? If things are good, I'm good. If things are bad, I'm bad. If you like me, I like me. If you don't like me, I don't like me. And that is no way to live, soul. Is it? It's never going to work. Why? Why? Because for instance, no matter how hard your spouse may try to answer your sole question of, am I lovable? He or she can't ultimately do it. You, you know you can still hide and lie, right? Your own thoughts are still undisclosed because why? Because you're a soul, because your spouse is just a spouse, not a savior. And to try as hard as she might, your friend can never answer your question of, am I valuable? Because she's just a friend, not the faithful father, not the author of your soul. See, if we lived from our souls, catch this, we would stop unwittingly setting the people in our lives up for failure by releasing them from having to be identity and security givers to us. But the world and our culture tells us that to do just that, that our thirst, that our longings, they absolutely can be fulfilled in those kinds of things. The world and the culture that we've been shaped in tries to fool us that, fool us that our desire will be fulfilled in social media or perfect moments and to put that hope there in those longings. Put it there. Come on, you and I both know it's a sophisticated, algorithm-rich scheme to get you to believe that this is how your longing will be fulfilled. Look at the screen for this quote. When we take soul questions to people, possessions, pleasures, performance, positions, productivity, pursuits, and circumstances, it will never work to bring us peace. Would you just keep that up on the screen for a second, and would you just... Choose which, which of those places you tend to take your soul questions. Do you take, am I valuable to your possessions? Do you take, am I lovable to performance or people? It'll never work to fulfill your soul longings. Why? Why? Why will it never work? Because you are an eternal being and those are temporal things. It's a total mismatch. It will never work. More importantly, Jesus straight up told us it would never work. In John 14, 27, you can see it on the screen. He says, peace I leave with you, which is great news. Except we're like, but, but wait, <laughs> not really peaceful. And as though for them, in the same way for us, he needs to sort of further clarify it. It's like, oh, it's my peace that I give to you. An intern, right, a soul peace. And as if he needed to further clarify, oh, hey, yeah, it's not as the world gives do I give to you? In other words, he's straight up telling us we're never going to find peace in the world. 
Straight up. Why, why, why? Because the world's overriding message is what? Not enough. You don't have enough. You aren't smart enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not rich enough. You're not funny enough. Not influential enough. Can I get a witness? How did it get this way? Okay, well, if you look at Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, Eve did what? She took her gaze and put it on the one, the only thing she could not have, the only thing she could not have. And we've been doing it ever since. Or let's witness capitalism. What's capitalism? We are in a world that must engender discontent to keep it turning economically our society. The protections of goods and services under capitalism is based on supply and demand in the general market. It's exhausting, right? To finally get your wardrobe or your playlist or your home the way you want, only to find that it's not what's trending and something better has to overtake it. It's exhausting, isn't it? Augustine said of this pursuit and subsequent exhaustion, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. I say it this way, we have to stop shopping horizontally for what's been given vertically, for what is given vertically. Whenever we're in any discussion, as we are, about how to walk in the fullness of what Christ purchased, we have to talk about the soul because unless we live from there, we will never experience gospel fullness. Because what's the alternative, as we said? Living by circumstance. And you all know they can change in a moment. You all know they can. Secondly, we have to talk about soul longing because that's ultimately what's driving each and every one of us. And if we don't realize it, we'll never be having the right conversation, let alone pursuing the correct channels for peace and love to flow to and through the soul that we are. So that's the contextual setup for soul healing. And now let's move to the how a bit. To be free of the entrapping question of enough the social media perfection pictures, the longings placed in circumstances, all of that. It requires that we, number one, submit to God's view of things, not our own or the world's. And number two, to surrender to God's ways, not our own or the world's. In other words, to experience soul healing, we must accept God's view of things. We can see in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, this is what he lays out for us. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In other words, accept my perspective and lean not on your own understanding. Well, that's what we do all the time. I think we should this. I think we should that. No, I've, I read this article that said that we should that. No, I'm serious. I, th I know we should. We just lean on our own understanding all the time. That means to prefer our own opinion. I don't want to prefer my opinion a lot of the time. And he's saying, listen, you've got to accept my perspective instead of your limited one. Correct? If not, we do what the last part of this verse says. We become wise in our own eyes. And we've been around people that are that, and we know that's dangerous. And that's what happens if we don't submit to God's perspective. Amen? So we, here are the submissions that we're talking about, right? Let's just keep going. We must have accepted the lordship of Jesus, God's rescue of you through Jesus, and your personal understanding that life can't be found out of this redemptive plan. And so we're now submitting, accepting God's instruction that the eternal is where our true fuel identity and energy must come from, not the temporal. And in this way, we're submitting to God's view that we're souls over and above any particular expression of the soul that is us. And we're submitting to God's words that our deepest longings cannot be fulfilled in the world. So that's where we've been in terms of accepting God's perspective instead of our own, right? So... 
right on the heels of those acceptances, those submissions. I'm telling you, I, <laughs> I find one viewpoint very hard for people to submit to. 30 years in a counselor's chair. <laughs> I find that people have a very hard time submitting their viewpoint of themselves to God's viewpoint of you. His viewpoint of the soul that is you, not your own or another's. They're usually quite different, honestly. You know, dear one, your very existence is a never-to-be-repeated way in which God wants to express himself to a broken planet. That's you. Your fingerprints testify to the reality that God only ever, 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 ever wanted. How many of you? You got it. One. Which, to the sole question of am I enough, I'm no mathematician, but I believe that might answer that question. Mm -hmm. Psalm 139 cements this for us, and no discussion of soul healing can begin without it. Oh, Lord, you've searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You're familiar with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before. Such You're familiar with all my ways. Did I say that? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. And if I make my bed in some depth, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. <laughs> darkness is as light to the light. The dark will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created, here it is, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Yeah, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. Imagine how different your day would be if you woke up and read that every day, every day. Imagine how different you would be. Why would we be different? Because your consternation over being valuable and striving to feel purposeful would begin to take a back seat to God's primary authorship of his story that is you. <laughs> Isaiah 44, 2 beautifully says, I am Yahweh, your creator, who shaped you in my womb. Gretchen Rodriguez writes, you're not a mistake, you're not an accident. Whether your parents planned you or not, God knew exactly what he was doing when he set your life in motion. Formed not only of flesh and blood, but of spiritual DNA, you were, crapped, you were carefully and intricately chosen by your heavenly father. Every detail of your being, each breath, each dream, and flitting subconscious thought is known by him. While you sleep, he cradles you in his love. When you awake, his presence greets you. There will only ever be one of you designed intentionally by God himself, which by definition, not by feeling and certainly not by pop psychology, <laughs> makes you what? You got it. Makes you special. You're literally one of a kind. So to your sole question of am I valuable? Am I special? Do I, ma right? This is honestly not to boost your self-esteem. I'm not interested in that. And it's not to make you feel better. But frankly, for the purposes of living in the reality of God's perspective, 
right? Because from there, it makes no sense that we would live comparing ourselves to others, more concerned with how many likes we receive than how much God has poured out his love into our hearts and his eternal purposes for our lives. And yet that's exactly what we do. Insecurity, comparison, and popularity are show-stopping impediments to a living a life of longing fulfilled in Jesus, let alone soul healing. Here's where we are. You will never experience true peace or joy until you discard yours or others' opinions of you and accept his view of you. Your view of you, right, has been completely formed in what? The society in which you developed. And I'm not sure, but I think most of us have been formed in this society. We talked about this earlier. So, for instance, I have struggled mightily with my physical structure. Why? Well, a mom that was obsessed with weight and every ad campaign that existed when I was growing up about what was beautiful and what was not. Now, I can wallop most of you on the tennis court, honestly. <laughs> but you'd never think that, honestly, if you just met me for the first time. Why? I do have it happen a lot when I go on a tennis court, to be honest. Why? Because of what our society assumes and messages. And just as an aside, we all know if I had been here 500 years ago, I would have been a goddess. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when I go to Cambodia, uh, I know there are some folks that enjoy poking at some of the American squish. And literally one of my teammates had this experience. It's so-and-so, you're so fat. And without a hint of judgment. In fact, it might have been a compliment. I'm not sure. Right? Think about how these kind of culture, cultural differences, how many cultures try to change themselves based on some messaging. Fair-skinned people tanning themselves, tan-skinned people lightening their skin. Seriously, also in Cambodia, it was incredible to see the same creams we use here that have tan tint in them have lightning cream in those same creams in a different culture. Isn't it maddening? Isn't it insanity? And yet, how much of what you allow to run through your head when you look in the mirror is based on such fleeting and ridiculous notions as those. Are you tired of it? Aren't you tired of it? Tired of the fight? Tired of the something could be better about you? Mess. And hey, as an aside, this discussion is not talking about fitness and stewardship of the wonderful vehicle God gave you to house your soul. That is another message for another time. But please do not confuse the intrinsic acceptance of authorship with lackluster stewardship. So very much of the significant emotional unhealth going on today is because of being consumed with self-hatred, self-loathing, self-doubt, out of assessments of self and comparison built upon our society, which is literally built on the mechanisms of creating discontent. This is why we've got to live knowing your unique given value, not seeking it, right? Knowing one's value, that person, versus a person who is seeking one's value, they're two very different people, aren't they? Which one are you? Do you know your given value? <laughs> Inestimable. Listen, in the words of Emily Griffin, he is the one who can actually tell us the reason for our existence, our place in the scheme of things, our real identity. It's an identity we can't discover for ourselves, this mystery of who we really are. 
how we have chased around the world for answers to that riddle, looked in the eyes of others for some hint, some clue, hunted in the multiple worlds of pleasure and experience and self-fulfillment for some glimpse, some revelation, some wisdom, some authority to tell us our right name and true destination. But there was and is only one who can tell it to us, the Lord himself. And he wants to tell us. He has made us to know our reason for being and to be led by it. I'm praying that in his love, he's telling you right now this morning in a way that's going to last from this day forward. So some truths we've got to know. If our identity is to be intact and based on God's perspective, not our own or the world's. Number one, God loves you with delight because you are his child. First John 4, 6 says God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God. You realize there's no interaction that you can have with God that isn't a loving interaction. He is love. You might as well pray dear love at lunch. So we've got to take love as a much bigger concept than the feeling state it is often associated with and realize your entire person, everything about you is created in, sustained in, and intended to be in and for the love of God in and through his unique expression of you. And my prayer this morning is the same as Paul's to the church in Ephesus. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Do you hear that? I'm not a gardener, but what's the whole root deal? Right? That, that how this soil is, is what the fruit shall be. And he's saying, you need to be rooted in the love of God. This is where you need to get your truest energy. Your nourishment and fuel for life is the love of God, nowhere else. And he's praying that for him, them. And I'm praying that for you. That you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ for you. And to that delight part, some of you are like, I can get that maybe God loves me like a lot, but delight, because you know what delight looks like, right? Delight looks like, I mean, even if, you know, for some of you, it's like, <laughs> right? And then others of you are like, hmm, and that's what delight looks like. Is that the picture you have of God? He says in Zephaniah 3.17, look at it. The Lord your God's with you is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. It says he'll quiet you with his love and he's going to rejoice over you with singing. I mean, can you just picture like God going, I love my Michael, my Matthew's awesome. I love my Sarah. Okay. <laughs> Is that a little much this morning? I'm sorry. It's in the word of God. And some of you have a perspective of God as impatient or annoyed or like stern or like frustrated or like even distant. Where did you get that picture from? 1 John 3, 1 says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Listen, I got some really close friends in the front row and I got a husband in the back. You want me to show you lavish love? <laughs> Do you want me to? You're saying, please don't. <laughs> it would get awkward. Are you willing to apply this scripture to your relationship with your reality with God? Or is it just another concept? That, yeah, God loves his kids. No, no, no. Lavish love is like so much. All that you could ever want. All that you could ever need. Like so full up, right? It's much. Chill out, God. Yes. Yes. That is how it is supposed to be. So that when we go to others, we don't go with empty cups saying, you fill me up. Mm -mm. Right? Listen, we're the object of, of his affection. And some of you are even struggling maybe right now with this. This is one of the hardest truths for Christians to grasp. For all of our talk of God's love, we don't really understand it or maybe just believe it. 
We dissect the Greek words for love and come up with some sterile form of agape that feels more like an obligation on God's part rather than a delight. But God doesn't define agape that way. <laughs> he does not portray his love as obligatory. In John and Ezekiel and other passages, it says he cares for us tenderly as our shepherd. We're called the bride of Christ in Revelation 21. In Zechariah and Psalm, it says we are referred to as the apple of his eye. He has his name engraved on the palm of your hand, Isaiah 49, 16. He describes having feelings for us like a mother nursing her baby, Isaiah 49. You not, may not be comfortable with such affection from our Lord, but you'll have to get used to it. Don't believe it? I mean, he makes it clear in other prophetic images, like his self-portrait as a husband, for example. You delight his heart in ways you cannot comprehend. We must submit to this if we're to walk in gospel fullness. Maybe today is the day, honestly, I pray it is, that you stop caring what you think about you and you stop defining your relationship with God based upon your feelings of you and him. When we speak and think disparaging things as we look in a mirror or catch ourselves in some reflection, I don't think we remember. He's in the room. And he loves that child. 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And the last part of that verse is amazing. I think Paul's like, hey, hey, and that is what you are. That's what we need to be speaking one to another all the time. That is what you are. Listen, you might be 6'6 six, six and 300 pounds of awesome buffness of the awesomeness, or you might be 4'10 and a billionaire. It doesn't matter. Your first, your first identity from now and forever is you're a child of God. That is what you are. You're a child of God. That is what you are. Can we live out of that? Shall we live out of that? Yes. It's an amazing life. Second truth is this, that nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from God's intense love for you. And this love will not waver based upon how good or bad your behavior is. Ah, oh, such good news. Psalm 118 verse 1 says, His love endures forever. Endures forever. Jeremiah 31 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Say everlasting a different way. Always, never going to go away, right? And Paul shows us in, Ro in Romans 8 that we can be convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love, not even God's love for us is not of this world. It is constant, perfect, and inexhaustible. Nothing can separate you from this perpetual flow of love. It is, excuse me, utterly impossible for God to stop loving us. So when I think about Romans 8 verse 1 and this idea, uh, Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I think in this whole concept of like God's love being so absolutely unmoving towards us. So what do we do about good behavior and bad behavior? Let's just talk about it for a minute. In this room today, I believe we have the good behavior group and the bad behavior group. <laughs> and if I said good behavior group, like let's raise your hands, you do it very, you do it amazingly, right? Like the reality is this, some of you good behavior group, you've, you haven't cussed in, you know, whatever, a couple months, you drove the speed limit on the way here, whatever. And, um, uh, <laughs> and you do things for your neighbors that they can't see and you pray a lot. You pray a lot for other people and you really try to get in God's word and you feel kind of bad when you don't, but you're like, I just need to live in the grace and you just get back in the word of God. You're just amazing people. 
Love you. Can we hang out? <laughs> you can rub off on me? And then there's the bad behavior group. That you actually are sitting here this morning thinking, if these people in this room knew what I did last night, or what I clicked on, or what I thought about, or what I drank, or what I ate, they wouldn't want me in this room. That my besetting sins are somehow worse than the other people here. How to hide that stuff. And you do, you're, you're racked with bitterness, you know you struggle with anger, you really don't pray a lot about those things because you don't know how it feels so weird and awkward, right? And you're cussing while speeding, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're the bad behavior group. Let's be very, very clear. God's love for you is not dependent upon your behavior. <laughs> now, I'm a person that's like, hey, we really do well when we try to live according to the things that he's laid out in our best life manual. But discipleship is not to get God to love you better. But obedience is awesome for us. It's not because we're trying to make God be more tolerant of us. He's crazy about you. Period. And to this God. Third, he has a specific plan for you that no one else can fill. Which is why he doesn't want you to be like anyone else. He numbered the hairs on your head, Luke 12, 6. Because, look at Ephesians 2, 10. You're God's workmanship. Okay, what's that? What's a workmanship? Come on, some of you have the hobbies that are like amazing workmanships. This building is a workmanship. <laughs> Are you with me? It's something that takes a great deal of attention and care and to make it just like you want it to be, workmanship. You know how many versions of the Bible translate workmanship? Some of you know it, come on. That's right, masterpiece. How many of you got up this morning and were like, looked in the mirror and went, masterpiece, let's go. <laughs> Why not? Because the cultural messages are still loud, too loud. You're God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Do you hear it? There's a list that has your name on it that only you can do. And when you are done with that list, you will be with him. And so here's the deal. The, the, the reason you think the way you do, you act the way you do, you are the size you are, the things that you do, the, the way that you perceive life, the way that you, that all the things that make up you have to do with doing this list. You understand that you that you are so you can do this list. But we have so many problems because we look at other people's lists and are like, well, I like their list better than mine. See why we have so many problems? Why we're so depressed? Depression signals an unattainable goal. If you're trying to do someone else's list, it's an unattainable goal. Fourth, you're incredibly important to God's kingdom, even when you think you aren't. This is one of the things we have to submit to. Trust his perspective over our own. Because you see, we're still so bound by what we can see and take in with the physical. And he's doing things on the spiritual all the time. Matthew 5 says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. It doesn't say you're going to be when you finally act, get your act together. If you've said yes to Christ, the Spirit of God is in you. And he is doing things in a room if you will just get in it. It helps that our mouths cooperate with that, but anyhow, whatever. Are you with me? His Spirit is greater. 
Look at 1 Peter 2.9. Talk about answering soul questions, walking around with soul questions answered. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You're so important. And to the answer of soul questions, I don't know, just this verse says you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you have an incredible purpose, you belong, you're enough. Oof, it's amazing. Let's look at this quote together by Christine Kane. The more secure in who God made you to be, the more effectively uh, you will fulfill the call of God in your life. If you keep waiting for everyone else to like you, accept you, affirm you, believe in you, support you, encourage you, or celebrate you in order to take the first step of obedience towards the will of God for you, you will never do it. God called you, not a people-pleasing version of you, not another cookie cutter of everyone else, you. He made you specifically, wired you particularly, and equipped you with a certain personality, giftings, and passion to do the thing he has called you to do. It's time to seek God for yourself and step out in faith to complete your assignment here on earth. So that's where we are. The first step in a series on soul healing is to take stock of your soul. What voices have been the ones that have shaped the way you view yourself? What influences have shaped how you view yourself and are now an identity you have been wearing? Where did you get the, your belief that you're dumb or unwanted or don't fit in or belong or not good enough or weak or can't do it? Where did you get that belief? What layers of identity have you taken on from external worldly forces that you need to shed today? What is a lie you're going to stop living in today? A lie, a word from someone in your life, a shame-based force stopping you from living in security and being fully free and unafraid to dispense the love of light and light of Jesus in every way possible. <laughs> so I want to sort of pull it together with this verse from Isaiah 45, 9. Can you listen with me a little bit? He says, shame on the one who argues with his creator like one clay pot among other parts, uh, pots arguing with the potter. Should the clay say to the potter, what in the world are you doing with me? Your hands are clumsy. The vision devotional keeps going with this verse. Sometimes correction can be difficult to accept, but when it's given in love, it has the power to transform our lives. Here the Lord is addressing disappointment, disapproval, and complaining in regards to the way we see ourselves in our lives. You may feel isolated, neglected, or unsure of your place in the world, but these feelings only point to areas void of his love. When we truly learn to rest in the potter's hands, aware of his tender love and fixed attention, self-pity melts away. In his presence, joy runs so deep it dispels every lie. It's time to see ourselves the way he does. Time to dive deep into the only love that will satisfy the cravings of our soul. To celebrate ourselves and see ourselves the way he does. Beautiful. Known. Smart. Accepted, loved. Beth, her, Beth's journey testifies to this. Let's take a look. One thing that really struck me um, from reading Soul Healing was 
I would look to other people to give me what only God can give me. I was looking to them to give me peace and satisfaction and joy and to the extent that it was only meant for God to fill me in those ways. I feel like soul healing was the beginning of me being exposed to what's going on underneath, walking through all of that stuff and figuring out what it looks like to walk in freedom um, and joy and, and peace. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you've got a journal, if you got, you pull out your phone, let's engage ourselves for a second to answer these two questions. What do you this day need to stop thinking or believing about yourself and instead believe God's perspective once and for all? What is one aspect of God's view of you that you haven't yet fully embraced? Don't leave here without choosing to claim it for good, even if you have to stay a while. Such a good moment. Literally could turn the trajectory of the rest of your days. So those two questions will continue to be on the screen for a minute. we reflect and so also there's a tool in the back that can as you leave that can be given to you for some of you who are like I need help with this it's a list of truths about who you are in Jesus who you are and so when you look at your phone and you start scrolling and all the feelings come in the place of the soul and if you're starting to pay attention why don't you pull this out instead you know Proverbs 23 7 says it as a man thinks in his heart so is he if deep inside you believe I am unlovable you will be unloving if deep inside you are so angry that you don't have somebody else's life or you're so angry at someone hating self you'll be bitter if deep inside you think I am created by a God who delights in me. You'll be delightful and giving. If you believe God has done so much for me, I can't possibly thank him enough. You'll be generous. Whatever you believe in here, it'll come out. It comes out. So again, those two questions. What's, what do you this day need to stop thinking or believing about yourself and instead believe God's perspective once and for all? What is one aspect of God's view that you have not yet fully embraced? Don't leave here without choosing to claim it for good. So I'm going to pray us out, and I'm going to leave space after my, you know, sort of statements so that you can pray it in your head or even out loud, okay? Would you pray with me? Father, forgive me for not believing in your love for me. You have made me with a purpose, you have set me aside as your beloved and you delight in me. Not only am I fearfully and wonderfully made, I'm loved, wanted, cherished by you. Forgive me for being so hard on the child of God that is me. When I look in the mirror, 
or I'm reminded of my weaknesses, help me to see what you see. Give me the ability to embrace the truth of who I am. Change the way I see myself to the way you do so that I might be a confident, surrendered conduit of light and love to everyone I meet. Jesus, you're amazing. It's in your name we pray because you did it. You purchased us access to all of this, all of this true security. We can't thank you enough. You are overwhelming. You're amazing. Help us to be obsessed with you. Help us to dive into your perspective and submit to it, God, over and over.